You are Locked On Browns, your daily Cleveland Browns podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And a good weekend to all of you Browns fans. Thank you for stopping by this Locked On Browns podcast, special edition for this weekend. And so I had some work yesterday afternoon that kind of held me up a little bit. So instead of podcasting in the evening when I was a little bit tired, a little bit fried, and knew none of you would be paying attention, that would be a little bit better Saturday afternoon um, going into Sunday as you prepare for your Sunday Browns matchup with the Cincinnati Bengals. And so uh, I told you today I'd kind of talk through what I think the Browns can do to um, to beat the Bengals, right? So we have a, a Bengals team that is struggling record-wise, but as I talked about yesterday or Thursday, um, their record is is a lot to do with their schedule. While that seems like a dumb statement to make, the reality is the Bengals played a lot of really, really good teams so far this season. So their two and four record um, is a little scary for them. Um, Their two wins were against two not so good teams. Their four losses were against some very good teams. And so I think for uh, Browns fans looking at this as a two and four Bengals team against an 0 and six Browns team, have to realize uh, what that record stands for. And so it's the same conversation we have a lot of times with fans who only care about records. Um, beating bad teams is something good teams should do, but it's something bad teams can do. And so uh, the Browns winning against the Dolphins or the Titans obviously would be nice, but don't say a, wouldn't say a ton about the Browns. Again, beating the Ravens would have been nice, but wouldn't have said a ton about the Browns. It would be being competitive against the New England Patriots with Tom Brady returning. It would be being competitive against the Philadelphia Eagles uh, with their defense and before anybody got tape on Carson Wentz, and we've seen kind of how that's fallen off a little bit. And so wins and losses, they matter and they're really important, but who those wins and losses come against can be even more important to uh, to a team. And so for the Bengals, they might be 2-4, and four, but had they played the Browns record or Browns schedule so far, maybe they were 5-1. and one. Maybe the four and two. And so re- uh, schedules do matter um, almost more than schedules, especially at this point in time in the season. And so for me, the Browns winning uh, on offense has a lot to do with play calling. Uh, can Hugh Jackson uh, make the necessary adjustments against a Geno Atkins led defensive line um, with a bunch of linebackers who are good, but aren't the quickest linebacking core in the league? Can um Hugh Jackson's play calling, get them off rhythm. Can they do some some things to get the linebackers flowing in one direction and cutting back against the grain? Because those linebackers do not move great in space. They're not great in coverage. And so I think it comes down to Hugh Jackson really figuring out how does he want to play call this game? There have been some games this season where he has gone away from the run, even when it's successful. And then he's gone away from the run the last two weeks when it has not been successful. And so I think it's important that he keeps that run game going. Again, it's not going to be perfect. Um, It's not going to be great. The Bengals um, know Hugh Jackson. They know his offense. So the defense will be well prepared. They also have six games of tape of what the Browns offense has looked like so far, especially that run game. And a couple of games to show how to stop it, uh, which has happened over the last couple of weeks. And so um, it's going to be up to Hugh Jackson to really make some adjustments to the offense. Does he give up on the run game? Does he try to set up the run game with some uh, short play-action passing? Normally, it's the opposite way. Normally, you get the run game going, and then the play-action pass uh, kind of is helped out because the run game was going. 
I think this week it's possible we're going to see some play-action passes, um, even if they're going to be quick slants, um, some outs, some curls, those kind of things. You're going to see he most likely try to use the play-action and the pass game to set up the run game, to open things up, even if those are on things like draws, uh, counters, misdirections, those kind of things. Uh, anything that he can do to, to get the Cincinnati Bengals thinking one thing and coming back with the other. I think the first down, first and 10, two-yard run um, could be the death knell for this team this week. And so it's up to Jackson to really decide how he wants to get things going. And how much does he believe he's able to do creatively against his former team, a team that knows his play calling well, knows some of his tendencies. Uh, so does he kind of switch that up? set up a play that looks very, very familiar to the Bengals that could be going right and go left. And so, um, or obviously vice versa, a play that looks like a left, go right, looks like looks very much like a run that they've seen over and over again uh, with a pass, maybe even a, a run pass option off of that. Anything you can do to keep the Bengals um, from just stuffing every gap the way that the Browns have had happen against them the last couple of weeks. I think that'll be huge uh, for the offense to make something different, um, to make uh, their offense look like something that the Bengals haven't seen before. Because the Bengals do have some good defenders, uh, especially on that defensive line, who can make things very, very difficult for the Browns, uh, especially if they can key on some things that they're used to seeing. On the defensive end, uh, side of the ball. I think it'll be interesting to see if Tyler Eifert plays. He's technically questionable, even though he was a full participant at the last practice this week. Um, if Eifert plays, it creates a lot of problems for the Browns. If he doesn't play, we'll start there. I think the Browns need to double team AJ Green all the time, every single play, really, um, and then look to stop the run um, by rushing the gaps. And if if the run's not there, they've got AJ Green doubled. And then hopefully they can pressure Andy Dalton into some um, some mistakes on their way kind of to stop the run. Then they can get to the quarterback. And so defensively, Joe Hayden's most likely not going to play, which um, is, a, is a big struggle. Him and A.J. Green normally have some really good battles, ones that uh, Hayden tends to actually win uh, because he likes to get his hands on A.J. And Green can often get very, very frustrated with Hayden's ability to kind of out-physical him which often throws off the timing between uh, Green and Dalton. And then they decided to, they, they often get frustrated with each other. And so uh, if the Browns can just figure out how to uh, take A.J. Green out of the game as best as possible with double teams, with uh, bracketed coverage, with a linebacker underneath and a cornerback over top or vice versa even sometimes can be good. Um, and then just kind of plug the gaps as much as they can, uh, allow – the, the Bengals to beat them with someone other than A.J. Green and something other than their run game. Allow some of those other things to happen now that Marvin Jones isn't there, that Muhammad Sanu is not there. See what Tyler Boyd can do. You know, obviously, if Tyler Eifert is back and actually healthy, again, he was expected to maybe miss two to four weeks, and so he's been out the first six games for the Bengals. And so the question really is, is whether or not they were saving him till he was 100% healthy. With a two and four record, it would really shock me if that was kind of how they they thought. And so, if Eifert's able to play as anywhere near 100%, he's going to put the Browns in some very very difficult situations. Their safeties uh, have struggled in coverage. 
Um, if Ibrahim Campbell can play, that helps a little bit. Uh, Derek Kindred has been bad. Jordan Poyer is now out. And so Tyler Eifert makes things far more difficult for the Browns as they look to game plan defensively against the Cincinnati Bengals. What's going to happen? Most likely, as many of you expect, it is an 0-7 start to the Browns season. I, however, am not. I'm, I'm a little skeptical that it's going to be that easy for the Bengals. Hugh Jackson's going to be fired up. His team is going to be fired up to play for him in his return to Cincinnati. And so um, I still think the Bengals are going to win. But the idea that the Bengals are just going to run roughshod over the Browns on Sunday just isn't kind of where I think the game is going to go. I think we're going to see a lot of mistakes on both sides of the ball, um, whether that's blown coverages by the Browns, turnovers by Dalton. Um, I think he does really well when he's comfortable. I'm not sure we have kind of the, the guys to get after him to make him uncomfortable, but I think Ray Horton's going to try to put him in situations, push him into situations uh, where he is pressured enough, where he feels the burden to kind of carry the team as they try to double and bracket and uh, take A.J. Green out of the game. I can see Andy Dalton making some mistakes, maybe an interception, maybe a fumble. And then you have the running game of Jeremy Hill and Giovanni Bernard, which really is the foundation of what the Bengals want to do. They haven't got it totally going yet uh, without Hugh Jackson, which isn't surprising. Jackson was there for a while, was a creative genius on the offensive side of the ball, which led to his head coaching job in Cleveland. So, um, again, I think the Bengals are going to win this game. I think uh, it won't be as easy as many expect, and it'll be another building block game of the Browns showing they really, really – do care, they do expect to win, and they are going to put forth the effort. My prediction, Bengals 24, Browns 21, in a closer game than many, many people expect. And as I uh, finish up for today and let you guys get ready for the Ohio State-Penn State game this evening, uh, just kind of want to figure finish up talking to you about a, a post that I put up on uh, the Orange and Brown Report. Again, you can see all my Browns writing on the OBR.com. We're a part of Scout Media. Uh, covering the team for 20 years now, just a lot of really, really good stuff uh, on there. And so we have a really interesting relationship with Pro Football Focus. Every week now, Pro Football Focus will be sending us just some information uh, in advance of each game. And so um, and now looking at the article, it looks like I put tomorrow's week six game when it's actually seven. So I'll have to fix that. But um, in the article, um, it's really interesting some of the grades that PFF has for us. So one real interesting one to me, Demario Davis was the highest graded uh, defensive player for the Browns last week with an 89.3. And surprisingly, it was largely due to his pass coverage. He was only thrown at twice. He gave up one reception for 21 yards and had a, had a pass defense. I think we all know that Davis's struggles are, are in the pass game. He is a thumper coming downhill. Uh, so it's a little bit surprising that uh, pro football focus would would grade him out so well, especially with only two passes sent his way. Um, it, it seems like it would be tough to grade him that high uh, based on those two passes. But when they look at pass coverage, they're also looking at plays where he doesn't get the ball because or doesn't have the ball thrown his way. Because that's really important. While fans and even media like, like, like to watch the football, if Davis's coverage was able to keep the Titans from throwing in a certain way, well, there you go, right? That means he's done his job. And so um, I think it it's respectable that 
Davis actually graded out so well for the Browns. Another thing they showed us is uh, Danny Shelton. Um, he's the second highest graded. He was excellent in a run uh, against the run. And I think that's something we've all seen kind of with our eyes. We've seen Danny Shelton really kind of uh, figure it out a little bit. I think the coaching is much better. Jim O'Neill uh, was terrible, is a terrible uh, defensive coach. You'll see that uh, out, in San, or out in San Francisco right now. Um, Chip Kelly didn't really have many options. Nobody really wanted to be his defensive coach. So he got stuck with Jim O'Neill. And O'Neill has been terrible, uh, both for the Browns and then obviously out there in San Francisco. With Shelton, he's actually, Shelton's actually figured out uh, how to use leverage, how to bend, how to not get pushed around, how to use his strength, uh, his raw strength, just to make an impact. And so I think we've seen a lot of good from Danny Shelton, which is really nice because the unsettling play – of Cameron Irving kind of offsets that. I can't imagine what practice looks like right now as Shelton has started to really figure it out and Cam Irving looks like uh, he's even taken a step back from last year. And so Irving along with Austin Pastor um, are really good run blockers and are pretty terrible uh, in pass protection. And so um, Irving has struggled greatly. PFF, uh, their grades for him uh, fit. They fit with what we're looking at. Uh, he currently ranks last among qualifying centers. Um, he, he's just been bad. Um, just beat on numerous occasions, uh, allowing a sack, two quick pressures, a lot of things like that. Um, uh, defensively, they give us some information about how much the uh, Browns have struggled to get after the quarterback. Um, and then some of just, I want to finish up with some Cody Kessler talk. Kind of talked a lot about him this week. Um, PFF gave Kessler a 76.3 uh, grade on Sunday, which was the second best for all Browns offensive players. The area that they point out that, that he did surprisingly well was under pressure. Under pressure, he had a 99.5 quarterback rating. But when he was blitzed, that jumped all the way up to 124.7. And so I think as we look at Kessler and what he's going to look like for the rest of this season and going into the future, he may not ever have that big body type, that dynamic arm and the things that get people excited about the Deshaun Watson, Deshaun Kaiser, uh, Mitch Trubisky, those kind of guys. It looks like Kessler really does have that kind of smarts that Hugh Jackson said we needed to trust him with. He has that kind of accuracy, even under pressure. And so those are some really, really cool things to see is that um, he's got a really high completion percentage. Uh, he's got a, a really stellar adjusted completion percentage. And so, um, again, check that out on the Orange and Brown Report. Uh, it's called Grading the Browns with PFF. So uh, we kind of give you some information that PFF gives us. And then I kind of give you my take. And so make sure you check that out. And, again, check out uh, Get Ready for CLE for me. Again, you can check out the website. I've got some stuff. I've got the kind of the banner loaded and all that. Again, a part of the Scout Media. We'll be covering everything related to Cleveland sports. Um, we'll be doing some cultural stuff, some wrestling, some Ohio State. A little bit of this and a little bit of that. And so uh, check that out again at cleforme.com. Uh, and that'll be launching on Monday in preparation for Tuesday when Cleveland is the center of the sports world with World Series Game 1 uh, at Progressive Field, or as I like to always call it, Jacobs Field, and the Cavs Ring Night. Uh, at the Gund Arena slash the Q. Uh, I will actually be at the Gund at the Q uh, as a credentialed media member covering ring night. And so, um, again, I'll be posting through uh, Twitter. You can get me at Jared K. Mueller. That's J-A-R-E-D, 
K-M-U-E-L-L-E-R. And I'll be posting all day just pictures, photos, videos, uh, a little bit of content, uh, just what the day is like in Cleveland on a day Tuesday when uh, it is the center of the sports world. So looking forward to tomorrow's Cleveland Browns game. Uh, I will be tweeting from the OBR, so that's at the OBR on Twitter. Um, and hopefully we'll be uh, tweeting and talking about a Browns victory against the Cincinnati Bengals, or at least a close game where the Browns continue to show a lot of fight. Thanks for stopping by this Locked On Browns podcast, a part of the Locked On Podcast Network, the fastest growing podcast network in the nation. And go Browns.